right. So Ben kind of set it up. Uh, we're talking about, uh, since we've been a church for a couple years now, we're going to take some time to kind of go back this month and talk about our name, talk about our mission, our vision, our priorities. Uh, it's easy for us just to kind of keep on trucking and really not stop and consider and remember, like, why are we a church? Um, why did we plant salt and light? Uh, why do we do the things, why do we do things the way that we do them? And what are we trying to accomplish as a church together? So last week, uh, Nicole uh, taught on the first part of our passage uh, tonight in Matthew 5, when Jesus calls his disciples uh, the salt of the world. She talked about um, what it would look like for us not to just hear Jesus' teaching and his words as something that was spoken to people 2,000 years ago, but actually uh, to receive his teaching uh, for us today and to consider what it would look like for us to bless the world around us by being salt. Um, as salt, we're uh, to bring a distinct flavor into the world. Um, our presence should help preserve the goodness of the world and prevent decay. And we lose our saltiness by becoming like the world around us. Um, so being salt should lead us to practice uh, transformative cultural engagement, which is one of the priorities uh, that we talk through as a church. As a church, we have our mission and our values, and then we, we set aside these six uh, priorities of like, hey, we only have so much time, capacity, and focus, that, uh, you know, and there are things that we want to do that are maybe distinct, and so we set a, a list of priorities, and practice transformative culture engagement was one of the ones that Nicole walked us through last week, as well as men and women leading together. Um, so we're going to kind of follow that format again uh, tonight um, and next week as well. Uh, so this week, uh, we're going to pick up the teaching in Matthew 5. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can uh, turn there, Matthew 5, uh, 14 through 15. It's going to be up on the uh, screen here in a moment as well. Um, and today we're going to pick up with the teaching uh, from Jesus on what it looks like to be the light of the world, because that's what Jesus calls his followers. And uh, light is, you know, such a powerful, you know, common metaf metaphor because we can all relate to light, Right? Um, it's used throughout the Bible in a lot of different uh, stories and teachings, uh, but it's also used throughout like stories and uh, literature and movies. And as uh, as I was thinking about, you know, where I've seen light being used to kind of communicate something about a story, I thought about the Lord of the Rings, which is one of my favorite film series. The Hobbit, not so much. New new show, I don't know. Still checking it out, but it's always been one of my favorites. Um, and uh, during the pandemic, when uh, everyone was kind of like watching TV because we were isolated, uh, one night, Nicole and I popped on the TV and like, a, you know, on our fire stick or whatever, it says like, Lord of the Rings, you should watch this. And Nicole's like, you know what? I think that I could, I think I could watch that. And so I immediately like started it. And I was like, we're going to go through it. And so for like the next six days, we went through like chunks of like Lord of the Rings. And one of my favorite parts, I, I, Tolkien and Peter Jackson and the storytelling like uses a lot of like darkness and light to communicate, you know, good and evil and all these different things. And so there's this one scene in the second movie, The Two Towers, from second, second half of the book, Two Towers. There's this epic battle. It's called the Battle of Helm's Deep. And what's happening is that the good guys who are uh, the people of Rohan, they've been chased away out of their home, uh, out of their farms, out of their houses by this evil orc army. Um, and uh, so they retreat into the mountains to this big fortress. It's called Helm's Deep. It's supposed to be, like, impenetrable. It's supposed to be, like, the ultimate fortress. And so they go there to find refuge. 
And then uh, it sets up this big showdown, this big battle uh, where this orc army just comes in. And of course, the battle happens in like complete darkness at night. And uh, there's so many uh, orcs, the bad guys. Uh, the army is so large that they just start attacking the, the fortress and they can't be stopped. Somehow they break into this fortress that's supposed to be impenetrable. And uh, they're about to wipe out the people of Rohan completely. And they're down to like their last few warriors and men who are like in the back, like protecting the women and children. And everybody is like, it's hopeless. Like we're, we're, we're in trouble. There's nothing we can do. But then as night is ending, as the dawn is starting to come, as the sun is starting to come up, uh, Aragorn, who is, you know, the hero um, of uh, the story, or one of the heroes of the story, he remembers something that was told to him by uh, the wizard Gandalf. Um, and Gandalf had been with them, but he had left a couple days ago to try and go find help. And so uh, he said, hey, Aragorn, look for me at the first light on the fifth day. And Aragorn re- realizes, okay, it's been five days. And so he leads this like crew out into the middle of this orc army. And as the sun comes up, they look up over the mountain and the sun just comes up over the mountain and it reveals Gandalf on this like white horse and then behind him is like this huge cavalry army. And so the light just keeps on coming up. And the people of Rohan, they see this army and they are filled with hope and excitement and celebration because they realize that their salvation is here. And so as the sun continues to come up and the light comes across this battlefield, the good guys come in, they win, and it's great. Um, but I just kind of, I love in that story how there's so, much, so many pictures of, of light um, you know, bringing hope, uh, darkness bringing like hopelessness or being lost or uh, evil even. And so um, that's the one that came to me. I'm curious if any of you in here, uh, if there's a story that comes to mind, either maybe in the Bible or in a movie or something like that, where light and darkness is kind of used as a way to tell the story. Anything come to mind? How so? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What else? Anything else? Star Wars. Ooh, yeah. The dark side. The light side. That's good. Anything else? Yeah. Love it. I'm gonna might have to explain a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah. You know, the sun. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love it. Uh, what about in the Bible? Any stories about like light that uh, that you remember in Scripture? We'll cover off on one today. Yeah, you got one. I am the light. Yeah, I'll talk about that. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. There's one with Moses and Joshua, I think. But yeah, one of them there is is the light going up and down. There was one where God stopped the sun. Yeah. Going down so they could see it. Yeah. They held them up. Yeah, that's good. Two different stories. <clears throat> They're both true. 
So, uh, so anyway, light is something that we can all relate to. So we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to be light. And so um, let me pray for us, and we'll kind of jump into to this teaching. Uh, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we get to gather as the church, as your people, uh, that you have uh, made us uh, light of the world, God. And so I just pray that as we seek your word, God, as we uh, work through this together, that you would just um, help us to be light, God, to the world uh, around us where you've sent us, God that you would be glorified in us. So bless this time, and would you uh, speak to us? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, scripture will be up here uh, behind me. Matthew 5, 14 through 15, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So this passage um, is from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' like epic sermon. Uh, At the beginning of chapter 5 of Matthew, uh, the passage tells us that his disciples gathered around him, and then he began to teach them. And that's when he launches into this this long sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus is teaching, the first thing that he starts with is he starts with uh, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes show us the upside-down nature of the people of God. That these people that in their weakness, that these are the ones whom, uh, through whom Jesus intends to transform the world. That he's going to unleash his kingdom on the world through the people who exemplify these beatitudes. So he, send, he doesn't uh, send in uh, the rich, the politically savvy. He doesn't send in a powerful militia or army or warlord or anything like that. The people that Jesus intends to send in to the darkness, into the world, uh, to bring about his kingdom are the poor, the mourners, uh, the humble, those who hunger for justice, the merciful, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, and those who are persecuted for doing right. And so the sermon is the agenda for kingdom people who want to work for the kingdom. So this was addressed to Jesus' disciples, and it's for us today as well. So just like Nicole said last week, I hope that we can kind of engage with this, not as you know people who are studying history from 2,000 years ago, but as uh, living and active teaching from Jesus that applies to us as the people who want to be shaped by our king and his kingdom and be a part of that. Um, we felt that you know this picture of salt and light and what Jesus calls us to uh, was just a, a really beautiful picture of what it would look like to be a church. You know, we, we, we that, have that shared identity, and so that's one of the reasons, the main reason why we picked the name Salt and Light for our church. Um, so let's talk a little bit about light. We talked about movies, um, Rockadoodle and uh, Lion King. Uh, let's talk about light in general. Um, talk to me about light. What, what does it do? What's it like? Properties and things like that. Go. Energy, okay, yeah. Interesting, yeah. It has a source, and it goes out from that source. Interesting, all directions. Safe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't walk down a dark alley. You look for a well-lit area because it brings visibility to the areas, lets you know if there's danger, if there's a threat, or something like that. Yeah. What else? All colors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And darkness is the absence of light. Darkness can't take over light. So if you're in a dark room 
and there's a, there's a light on in the hallway, and you open up the hallway door. The darkness doesn't go out into the light of the hallway and take it over. The light always goes inward and takes over the darkness. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Um, yeah, light also, it represents uh, truth, represents knowledge. We're attracted to it, and it brings safety. Um, darkness, on the other side, uh, tends to represent, like, ignorance, like you're in the dark on something. Or it also uh, tends to represent evil, forces that are in opposition to, uh, to goodness, the, the, the dark side and the, and the light side or whatever, a little bit of a picture of that. So Jesus calls us to shine the light of the kingdom into a dark world, to illuminate brokenness and sin, and, and then to guide people to worship the Father. So that's what we're called to be as light. But he also, in this passage, gives us a warning um, that the light is meant to be displayed and that it shouldn't be hidden. So I want to take a minute and just kind of talk about this, continue kind of our, our conversation here. What are ways that either for us personally or for the church that our uh, light can be hidden? What comes to mind? Yes. Yes. Great point. Yeah. If we completely cloister ourselves inward and we are not actually out in the world, if we're maybe, maybe it's, you know, we're trying to kind of pull away and protect ourselves, you know, uh, but in doing that, we could actually be like hiding our light from the place that we're sent into. It's a good one. What else? Ways that our light could be hidden. Anything else come to mind? Yeah. Yeah. Talk, yeah, talk more about that. Not to put you on the spot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's a really good point, Allison. Some other source, some other hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. I, a couple of the things that I, I thought about as well, in, in addition to some of these, I was thinking about, like, the priorities that we have or, like, the values we have. So if, like, our, if our politics or our pursuit of comfort or self-gratification become 
the focus of our lives instead of things of the kingdom, then, you know, in a sense, you know, that light is being hidden and not shining as brightly in us, you know. See here. So this uh, this salt and light passage, um, I, I think about like what Ashley said about us kind of re- removing ourselves and kind of being kind of turned in on ourselves. Um, that's not what Jesus is calling us to here. Even though there's a you know high high value in God's word of, of holiness and pursuing that, um, this passage, the salt and light passage at its core, is 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 very missional. Um, and our identity as being a missional people is core to who we are as a church. Like, we want to prioritize that. Um, it's not an add-on or an optional thing for us as a church. Um, we believe that the church is the people of God who are carrying uh, out the mission of God. And that through that, we're to be a blessing to the world. And so we've, we've missed the point if we're just inwardly focused, you know, working on our own stuff in here and disregard, you know, the world that we've been sent to. Um, another thing that I thought of uh, is something that could keep us from, from being the light or our light being hidden. Um, I think sometimes it might be uh, too much of a reliance on ourselves, um, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is we need to remember that we are called light, but we in, of ourselves are not the source of the light, that you and I are not um, the Savior, um, so Jesus isn't inviting us to be so good and so perfect that your friends and their coworkers would actually find their hope in you. Um, also, that would be an impossible standard for you to meet, right? Like nobody could ever be that good besides Jesus. Um, and so um, I think that, you know, if you look at other religions, um, they teach you that enlightenment or the path to enlightenment is by practicing a lifetime of like devotion and right living and meditation and all these other things. And if you do these things rightly, then you may be able to earn your way to that kind of metaphorical enlightened state up on the mountaintop. You know, that if we live rightly and perfectly, that we can kind of get to the mountaintop ourselves. Um, And the amazing thing is that Christianity is the only religion that is like the complete opposite of this. The story of Jesus is that he left heaven, um, and he became a man, and he actually entered into the darkness uh, to find us who were lost in darkness, and he came to bring his light into the world. And so, in a sense, like Jesus is the true light who uh, came down from the mountain because uh, he knew we couldn't find our way to him. Um, So no man comes to the Father except through him. No person comes to the Father except through him. So through Jesus' death and his resurrection, he frees us from, excuse me, from sin, and he opens a way for us to carry his light into the world. And then also he invites us to participate in being light bearers and to bring people in out of darkness and into light. Like that's part of our calling. That's why it's such an exciting thing. Um, but I think, I think it's just important that we remember that we have received our identity as light bearers um, through grace, uh, Jesus buying that uh, for us, that status for us. And I think that the more that we realize uh, that, the more uh, poor in spirit that we remember uh, we are, the more that we realize, like Paul was talking about, like our reliance and dependence on Jesus as our source of light 
we need to be with him. We need to rely on him. Um, and in doing so, that's actually what makes the light in us shine more brightly, if that makes sense. Because remember who Jesus addressed his teaching to uh, in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, he's addressing it to the, to the poor in spirit, the people who have recognized that they're so spiritually poor and in so much spiritual poverty um, and that they have such a need for a savior. And so I think that, wise tag me. Um, I just think that that's an important thing for us to remember as we talk about like being light. It's not, it, we get to shine and reflect uh, the true light of the world in Jesus and that he bought our ability to be um, salt and light. We don't have to earn it. It's not something that we have to be good enough. Jesus says, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. And that's good news, right? Um, I think that another thing about like light and kind of what we're invited into uh, with this is um, that we get to be messengers of of hope uh, for the world. Um, I just really think if you look out at the world right now around us, I think that probably one thing that everyone can agree on is that people are desperate for hope. Um, We've gone through pandemic really divisive politics, uh, uh, breaking down of democracy and government. Uh, We're grappling with things like climate change or big economic uh, issues, struggling economy, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's more uh, than that list, but it's a lot, you know? And so (laughs) I I think that, I really think that something's happening like right now. Like to me, it feels like there's a shift from like five years ago or 10 years ago, what it felt like in society or what it felt like in the church just feels like it's a time of change, and I just really feel like God is doing something in this moment in time where people are searching. Uh, conversations I'm having and things like that like didn't happen in the same way that they did five or ten years ago. I think that we live in a time where many of the hopes that people have built the foundation of their lives on are crumbling, you know, starting to see cracks and things like that. And I'll share just one quick story um, uh, company I work for, uh, part of the company culture is to create just a very positive and like uh, abundant experience for its employees. And so they place a very high value in taking care of the people that work there. And uh, so like any company, it's not perfect, uh, but overall, like I'm really thankful for my job that I get to work there. It's a great place. Um, I feel really valued there and everything. Uh, but unfortunately, earlier this summer, our company, like a lot of other companies, had to do a round of layoffs. And understandably, many people, obviously the people who were let go in that round of layoffs, but also the people who were left behind, like still a part of the company, um, they took it really hard. And many people like kind of pointed out uh, how we thought that this was a place that took care of its you know, people. And ultimately, you know, had to make some hard financial decisions to lay some people off, you know? That's tough. And so we had this one company meeting after the layoffs, uh, just kind of an open forum for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to share their thoughts, their feedback, their concerns. And there's this one person um, who I don't know super well. She's fairly new, but uh, she said something that was really, like, profound. It really, like, stuck out to me, and I think it kind of touches on what I was talking about, this, like, this moment in time. And she said that to her, to her uh, the, the world, when she looked at it, it just seemed so broken and so messed up. But then when she came to work at our company, she thought she had finally found this place where things were, were right the way that they should be. Um, so she said she created a, 
a little happy bubble around herself with our company, but then she realized that the, dis the brokenness and the di disappointment of the outside world had broken into our company, and she realized that she had had realistic expectations for what her job could be uh, for her. And I just thought that was just really profound, and I think that there are other examples besides that um, in the world where um, people are just kind of coming to the end of kind of the hopes that they've, they've, they've found, you know? And people, I think, are, are desperate uh, for, for hope, for things that they can find hope in. Um, there's more uh, depression, anxiety, um, uh, breakdown in community and things like that um, that I think are fueling this as well. Um, but I think that for us as followers of Jesus, as those who are called uh, to be the light of the world, that we have been invited to share the most hopeful news that's ever been proclaimed um, in the story of, of humans and humanity. Um, and against maybe like a darker backdrop, like in a very dark room, like a light, even small, shines brightly, or against a dark backdrop, um, uh, things shine more brightly. And I just feel like there's just a, there's a, this is a moment in time where, um, where things will shine more brightly right now, just because there, there is more brokenness, it feels like, that's out there, and I think people are looking for hope. I think we can be a part of that. I think we're called to be a part of that. <clears throat> so uh, the world is broken, but in Jesus, here's the hope that we have. In Jesus, we have someone who laid down his crown in heaven. He entered into the brokenness, into the darkness, and he laid down his life on the cross to break the power of sin, that sin is what keeps us enslaved in darkness. And through his kingdom, he uh, offers an invitation to life and to light. And he offers us a vocation, actually a job, of participating in his restoration project for the world. So that's part of what it is to be, to be light. And so when there are people, that, there are people out there that God wants to bring into the light, that we get to participate in inviting them in, um, in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we talk about our priorities. Um, so... When you encounter someone who is overwhelmed by the darkness out there as a, as a light bearer, I would just encourage you to enter into life with them, you know, just as Jesus did with us. Remember, Jesus didn't stay distant. He didn't stay apart. He entered into the darkness um, and uh, invited them into life with him, and he revealed light through that. So uh, there's a, a passage that'll be up here. It's from 1 Peter uh, 3.15. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So I just kind of love that as a way to kind of wrap up, you know, as we consider and think about um, what it means to be light. Um, so maybe talk about that with your families, uh, if your DNA group and stuff like that. This isn't something that's just meant to be like, here's, here's, you know, me coming down from the mountaintop and saying like, here's what it looks like for us to be light. I mean, we all need to kind of wrestle with that and figure out what it looks like for us and our context and our family and our neighborhood. Uh, but it's something that we're all called into and invited into by Jesus. Um, so now I want to talk us through just briefly, uh, uh, want to talk us through our mission and our discipleship uh, vision as a part of kind of wrapping up, you know, uh, who we are as a church. Uh, so I'm going to put our uh, mission uh, statement up here. Uh, our mission is making disciples of Jesus by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. All right, and then our discipleship, discipleship vision. Um, we practice discipleship, making disciples uh, together by seeking to be with Jesus. 
to become like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did. So our, our discipleship journey starts by just simply being with Jesus. You know, it doesn't start by us searching inside ourselves to find that light or that hope or that goodness. We need to be with Jesus and enjoy his presence through prayer, through scripture, through singing, through uh, other forms of worship, worship uh, encouragement uh, from other brothers and sisters. And like with his disciples, Jesus invites us to, to follow him and he invites us into a something that's not like an occasional thing that we do, you know, once a week or something like that. He invites us into a, a, a lifetime of walking with him. Jesus, like, like, walked and traveled and ate and taught with his disciples and just spent life with him. And so I think that, that through that proximity and relationship, as we, uh, if we practice that, being with Jesus, as we learn from him and as we... Uh, as we are taught how to die to ourself um, in our walk with Jesus, we become more like him. And I think that as we talk about uh, being light, I think about uh, this second one, uh, to become like Jesus. And it reminds me of a, uh, a story in the Bible that I thought of, another Moses story, uh, where he goes up into God's presence to uh, receive the, the Ten Commandments, and he spends 40 days up there with God and then he comes down from the mountain with these tablets, and he's actually like, his face is like glowing. He doesn't even realize it, but he's just been in the presence of God, and he is just reflecting that light. And it does terrify the Israelites, so there's that, and I don't know what necessarily to do with that. But I think that as we spend time in God's presence with Jesus, as we are with him, uh, we'll begin to shine like him, like Moses did, by just being in God's presence and becoming like him. And uh, next week, we'll talk a little bit more about this third one, about what it means to do the things that Jesus did. Um, but based on our mission, our values, and our convictions, uh, I mentioned this earlier, we've outlined just a set of priorities that guide us into, like, how are we going to do ministry together? Like, we are, a lim- we, have, we are limited with our time resources, with our financial resources, when we want to be intentional about what we invite you into, because there's a lot of different ways to, to do church. By no, no means have we been like, we've cracked the code, this is the only way to do it. It's just like... These are the priorities that we feel called to, that we want to kind of uh, use these to kind of form our ministry rhythms and things like that. So there's six of them. We're going to put them up on the screen. Uh, first one, simple gatherings, uh, everyone discipled and discipling, equipping children, teens, and parents, empowering each other's gifts, transformative culture engagement, and women and men leading together. So last week, Nicole uh, talked through the last two. Um, today, we're, I'm just going to talk briefly through the first two simple gatherings and everyone discipled and discipling. So uh, simple gatherings. So we believe that the church is the people of God on the mission of God. So church is not like an event that you come to once a week on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon or whenever. Um, we are the church as the people of God. But that being said... It's also very important that we gather together as the people of God regularly to be reminded of Jesus and of his kingdom. So as we gather, we want to create a welcoming environment for, uh, for families. Like we have a very familial kind of environment, if uh, I'm sure you've noticed that. We also want to create space for, we talk about this a lot, like we want to create space for uh, skeptics and seekers. As I kind of talk about like what it looks like to be light, like that's just like a group of people that, we felt called to as the Tatums and Connollys as we kind of talked about that group. Um, 
it seemed to be something that drew a lot of people in. And so we want to be a space where people can come in and not have all of their, like, Christian walk together, know what they believe. Maybe they have had a bad experience with church. Maybe they, you know, they've just had an experience with you, and so they're at least, you know, curious to learn more. Um, but maybe they don't feel like they have a space to kind of enter in and ask questions and be uncertain. And so we want to create a space, uh, you know, for, for people to be able to enter in with those, those questions, um, not knowing what they believe. Um, so we want to be welcoming in that. Um, another thing about Simple Gatherings is we're uh, uh, not trying to create a really big production. I'm sure everyone has noticed this. The fog machines are delayed, the light uh, and everything like that. I'm just joking. Uh, it takes time and it takes energy to pull off a gathering. And so uh, we know, like, the season of life we're in and kind of the priorities that we have, like, creating a big production isn't a, a top priority for us, and it's not something that we want to like take away from the, the, the purpose of why we're gathering, which we believe we want to prioritize the teaching of God's word, we want to pray together, we want to sing and worship, and we want to take communion, which we're going to do here in just a couple minutes together. And so although we strive to keep things really simple and really focused in kind of how we gather, uh, I don't want to communicate that it's because it's a low priority, that we don't value this gathering time together. Um, we need to be, it's easy for us to kind of get pulled into kind of the hopelessness or the despair or whatever is going on in the world. Like we need to be as people of light getting together with each other to encourage one another, um, to be reminded of Jesus, who's our source of light. Um, and also just to be reminded that like, we are not in this alone. Like you are not in this alone. Like if you just podcast, with your favorite teacher on a, on a wherever. Nicole and I did this when we first moved here from Portland. We just spent like three months just podcasting our old church on Sunday mornings. And at some point we're like, this is not church. This is, we need more than this. So church is more than this gathering, but this gathering is important. And so when you're not here, uh, you're missed. Like there's something about gathering together as the broader uh, body that is meaningful. So uh, if you're in town, if you're able, like, we just ask you to please prioritize, like, being here. Like, we want you here. Like, it's better when we're together. Um, and also feel uh, freedom to invite others into this space. You know, as I mentioned before, we want to create an environment that's, that's hopefully inviting, both for people, families, or maybe who aren't, uh, who have deconstructed their faith or aren't in church. Like, those are the people that our hearts really go out for, and we want to create space for them. The second uh, uh, priority that I'm just going to talk through really quickly is everyone discipled and discipling. So as important as this time on Sundays is to gather, uh, it's not the only place where discipleship happens. Uh, we want to uh, foster a culture where mutual uh, discipleship and responsibility for one another's growth uh, in the Lord is uh, shared and distributed uh, because we're brothers and sisters in the faith. And so we share, we should share responsibility for caring for, uh, for each other. So um, as a servant leadership team, like we view uh, Tatum's and the Connolly, like we do view that we have a responsibility for, for shepherding, for equipping, um, for kind of establishing a trellis for kind of the vines to grow on for the church. But we aren't just like a set of professionals uh, who take care of ministry while uh, people come in to receive ministry. Um, we want to create a space where we're all participants, where we're all actively, like, doing this together. And so this can happen in DNAs throughout the week with other just uh, relationships that you have with believers here in the church or outside. We want you to be encouraging one another to 
walk with the Lord, to be with Jesus in word and prayer, to become like him by repenting from sin and seeking his heart. And then finally, by doing the things that Jesus did, by practicing obedience to his word and listening to his spirit as it leads us. Um, let's see here. Got to hit off on everything. Oh, the other thing. Uh, we also want to raise up our kids to participate in this as well. We, if, if you've dropped off your kids here uh, lately, you'll notice that we have like little junior helpers that are like managing the check-in booth. We have adults in the back that are taking care of the children, leading the, that time. But we also invite junior helpers in uh, to be a part of the storytelling and the discipling. And so I just love that we're starting to kind of like we want to try and create and foster this culture of discipling one another, um, even at kind of that youngest age. That it matters, that we want to invite you into that and give you uh, permission and an opportunity to also be someone who gets to be uh, a light bearer, someone who's sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. Um, so that's it. I, I want to lead us through communion um, uh, real quick uh, at the end as we wrap up our time. Um, and as, as we do, there's, there's communion on the table, um, and there's, I think, uh, gluten-free in the back. Um, but I want to read this quote uh, that I thought really worked well with uh, what uh, we talked about today with salt and light. Uh, it's a quote from N.T. Wright. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, He, Jesus, was the salt of the earth. He was the light of the world, set up on a hilltop, crucified for all the world to see, becoming a beacon of hope and new life for everybody drawing people to worship his Father, embodying the way of self-giving love, which is the deepest fulfillment of the law and prophets. That's why these sayings, originally applied to Israel, now apply to all of those who follow Jesus and draw on his life as the source of their hope. So I want us to remember as we take uh, the bread, as we take the juice or the wine that represent Jesus's body and blood, that he was raised up on a hilltop, on a cross, as the hope of the world also through his death and resurrection, that he invites us to participate in that. Uh, he has paid the price of our sin, um, and he invites us into being um, proclaimers of the light, of the good news of his story. And so let's remember our King Jesus as we take the bread. Dip it into the juice. Remember his body broken for you and his blood shed for you. Let's take and eat. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, we, take you, we thank you for Jesus, uh, the true light of the world, um, who left um, his crown and laid it down in heaven and entered into the darkness of this world, into the brokenness of, um, of our lives. The sin that separated us uh, was not an obstacle for him that he could not overcome because he actually gave his life um, in place of ours. And we thank you for the forgiveness that we have received through him. We thank you for the new life that he has brought to us through his resurrection and as he brings us in to be representatives of the kingdom as light bearers. So would you um, empower us by your Holy Spirit to be light? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.